Yeah. And here we are at uh, True Alignment, the True Alignment podcast, coming to you live from Regis University, from the Innovation Center at the Anderson College of Business and Computing. I'm Ken Sagendorf. And I'm Edgar Papke. Hey, good morning. I, I have to share with you as we as we brought that intro music in this morning uh-huh. that, um, you know, my best friend on the planet, Hank, um, he said, you know, Is you he guys- in Antarctica? He's not, but Is we'll talk Antarctica? about that in a minute. <laughs> okay. Um, but he said, you know, you guys need to do a video because we want to see you dance to that opening music. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> TikTok. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll TikTok it. That's right. Speaking of TikTok. That's all we need. So, Edgar, if you're listening, if you're listening out there to our podcast uh, and you have any friends in the Arctic Circle or in Antarctica, we need them to download the True Alignment podcast so we can truly call ourselves um, global phenomena. We're on, <laughs> we're, on, we're on five continents now we've been downloaded. Great marker. There you go. Got to yeah. have goals. Got to have goals. Got to have, have aspirations. We're, 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 we're going to so get there. Wait. New Zealand. Uh, let's, uh, what are the different countries? We're we seeing? had Taiwan. You know, of course, we have the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Uh-huh. Um, we had India, Taiwan, and Asia. We had Czech Republic, Germany. Portugal. France, Portugal, Russia. And, and Europe. And Russia. And Russia and Europe. Um, and who do we have in South America, Jim? Panama. Panama. Ah. Okay. So yeah. we're, we're, we're sneaking down, sneaking down Central America Must into be South the America. the away fans, right? <laughs> Panama Red. <laughs> so good stuff. Australia, New Zealand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're getting there. So we were a little fired up this morning. We were having a good conversation, kind of. Uh, Mr. Musk. Mr. Musk. Yeah. Yeah. So. So we, we did a podcast a few episodes ago. I don't know which one it was, um, but, you know, we, we, we asked kind of what's in the water. And that was, you know, the irony, Edgar. Uh, I mean, this is terrible of me to say, but I don't remember which mass shooting we were after. Maybe that was the Buffalo. It was. Okay. We were just after the Buffalo shooting. There's mm-hmm. been so many since. Yeah, there were shootings in, um, I'm trying to recall now how many states over the weekend. Yeah. It was like three more over the weekend. Yeah, mass, and then uh, also uh, gun violence shootings in, I don't know, was it 20, 20 states? Or over 20 states had some incidents of some kind, which is just remarkable. And, um, and then there was also, I was listening uh, to one report of uh, shootings where you know, there's two or three victims at a time that really don't even make the news cycle. And um, how those are all just adding up at this incredible, incredible pace. So yeah, the idea of there's something in the water and what is it, and the broader perspective that we can get from this as we talk about alignment, you know, in all different ways and the misalignments that occur, um, and the misalignment when you just think about what's happening in Congress right now as they're trying to negotiate, <laughs> which I think is just so interesting because uh, so there's there fallacies of life. Let's just visit them very quickly. Uh, the sun rises. No, the earth turns. Two, don't take this personal. Complete bullshit, right? Three, I can be non-judgmental. So you're judging yourself whether you're being non-judgmental or not, right? And so there's uh, there's all these fallacies and then there's the fallacy of, of compromise uh, as a win-win. Uh, compromise is good if you can't find a solution, I suppose. 
in all of our work and the work that we do around mediation and resolving conflict. Um, it, it seems like when you when you fall into that negotiation mode and you start looking at compromise, you're going to ask someone to give something up. In a way, you're asking someone to intentionally misalign. And if you're going to find alignment between yourself and someone else, or in this case now, if you're looking at really, you have to have a mindset of solving the problem. You've got to come at it through the mindset of solving the problem, not negotiating a set of compromises that still allow the problem to exist. And that's key. That's fundamental. That's something we teach to leaders in our leadership and, and exec ed programs. It, you, if you're going to play the game of negotiation for compromise, be aware of what you're aligning yourself to, which it means that if somebody's going to be asked to give up something and what happens, most often you still have the seeds of resentment, distrust, um, and, and of course the self-misalignment that you're walking away with. With a, It's not a solution. You're walking away w- w- with giving up something. Yeah, this tension, Edgar, of winners and losers, right? I mean, and that's, you, you mentioned the American political system, and that is that's so about who's winning as much as it is who's losing. Um, yeah. You know, I always, uh, I joke, I grew up, I grew up uh, just just east of Albany, New York, and I was equidistant between New York City and Boston. And so uh, half of us are New York Yankee fans, and half of us are Boston Red Sox fans. I know this one well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you're from that part of the world, too. And so, uh, you know, I always joke of, you know, what I see as the difference between a, a Red Sox fan and a Yankee fan is the Red Sox fans care as much if they're going to win and the Yankees are going to lose. Mm-hmm. Yankees don't care if the Red Sox do anything, quite honestly. <laughs> um, you know, I think that's, that's, the, that's the rub, right? I mean, <laughs> they, they want to win as much as they want the other side to lose. Yeah. And, and, and we're seeing that now, right? And so yeah. you, know, we, you and I, we started this conversation, and we're, we'll have a, a more graphic title on the website for, for what we're going to call this week. But, you know, the nice language here on the air is, you know, what the hell's up with Elon Musk? Yeah. You know, he came out last week. He sent a memo, a leaked memo to his company there at Tesla, uh, pretty much saying that um, remote work was done. And, you know, what was the title? Remote work is no longer acceptable. Yeah. And, and I, you know, the quote was something along the lines of, you feel free to work remotely after you've put 40 hours in the office. Yeah. And then the idea is that if you don't show up for this, if, if you don't align yourself to the program, then um, that's the same as resigning. And then you start unpacking that and you realize that if the expectation is people not showing up as a resignation, well, now you're sidestepping unemployment insurance, right? Uh, you're, you're looking at it through the lens of potentially we're confronted with the idea of a recession. And so that means downsizing of workforce, which has already been an issue at, at uh, just uh, of late at, at Tesla. So the downsizing of the workforce, so you really avoid paying severance uh, and all the costs associated with severance and unemployment. And well, you start adding it up. And then you think, well, is this just then a very well-calculated financial move? Which, of course, some would look at and say, well, that's pretty creative. That's pretty, uh, that's, uh, that's what we're really <laughs> coming genius. at. Yeah. And that's And then there's the ignoring of the broader perspective, you know, what's in the water. So we started this conversation and you come back to, and if you're going to have that mindset, uh, you, you have to be a systems thinker. If you're Elon Musk, and I think he is, to a great degree, a good systems thinker, he may actually be a great one. Um, I, 
going to have to explore that a little bit further. Needless to say, if you look at it through a systems lens and you start looking at all the moving parts, uh, you've got a lot of you've got a lot of alignment pressure. So, as employees, as people looking for greater alignment in their lives, they're more willing to let go, and they're more willing to go and seek and look uh, for a different perspective on what life can look like. And as part of that, then, is also that economic and financial pressure. We have a greater disparity system. Systems. You look at the system, you see greater disparity between um, the haves and haves not, so to speak. I know that's kind of basic language. When there, the disparity between wealth, those that are wealthy and not wealthy, is expanding. So we see that. And then also we see the rate of inflation and just the cost of living being accelerated as more and more people are at um, – it's the lack of a better term. Uh, the sense that they don't have choice. Yeah. I was uh, listening this morning uh, to report that said here in the Denver, the metropolitan Denver area, people are being confronted with a three, $400 a month increase in their rent from one year to the next. You add that up very quickly, and that's really definitely outpacing the yeah. increases in wages and the increases in income that are occurring. And so you start looking at someone who that I know that's that's con- confronted with the possibility of a $400 a month increase in rent from one year to the next in a one-year lease. And you look at that, that's that's close to $5,000. And well, that's a big chunk of change. Yeah. And let's say let's say you make $100,000 just to, to put an even number on it and you get a 1% raise and your rent goes up $5,000 a year. Right. Or if you're fortunate enough to be keeping up with getting a you know 2 to 3% raise, it still it outpaces it, so you're yeah. not even keeping up. It's well, either flattened out or it's or it's a negative effect. I feel like I should do better research before we get here on the air because I know there was a there was a number about our economic fragility in the U.S. about how many people were you know one month away. Yeah. Um, you know, something drastic happens. And so, you know, this tension egger, you know, we, we, I keep coming back because I just, I, I love that we started from this great resignation and the exploration of the, you know, I am, I'm not going in. I want to come back to Elon Musk. And so Elon Musk was, he was here locally in town mm-hmm. um, at the leadership uh, workshop at the Air Force Academy. Uh, every year they do uh, National Character and Leadership Symposium. And he was one of the keynotes this year. Um, right, because of his uh, his work in uh, with SpaceX and right, um, because the Space Force is down there and, and they were doing those kinds of things. But this idea of leadership mm-hmm. and, and what I'm hearing from from more and more leaders regarding the Great Resignation, this economic tension, um, this leader follower tension, this kind of what's in the water is this tension's just it's just here and it's bubbling, and I don't. Um, I mean, we've said it on air. I don't. I don't think the problem is about guns and gun control. The problem is about something else. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think that that tension. You know, we have to figure out where that tension is. But you know, people love Elon Musk because he's he is declarative. And maybe he is. Maybe he is. He is that that genius systems thinker, mm-hmm. and he's figuring out. You know, kind of. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, what are the buttons to push? An economic savant model. <laughs> Could be. To make his company work uh, by kind of playing into the great resignation and this idea of the employee wants X. Well, if that employee wants X and I need to get my company to Y, yes. let, the, let the employee have X 
and yeah. I'll get my company to Y. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe he is doing that, but we, we just have a, we have a flavor for a declarative leader. Yeah. And um, part, of that, part of that, what's underneath that is um, employees as a whole. So you look at that through that lens of either you accept the deal or you don't. Um, it does. It's declarative. It, it, in a way, it feels absolute. And in another way, it, it takes choice and puts it right back squarely on uh, the employees. Well, I, I mean, I've heard this in other situations, right? I mean, I've heard this where, um, you know, we're going to do X, and if people don't want to do it, they can just go work somewhere else. Yeah. Right? It's kind of an ultimatum. I mean, anything I've ever learned about negotiation is that the ultimatum. <laughs> well, that's a different mode, too. That's no longer even a negotiation of a compromising position. Now we're talking about just straight competing to win. This or that, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's this or that. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna accommodate. What I'm going to do is just compete and win. Yeah, when we look at ourselves, and uh, this is, this is probably another great topic for us to pick up here. Um, when we talk about conflict, we talk about different approaches to it. We have, if we're conscious of it, we can make the choices. So avoid. We can either step in and compete to win. We could accommodate and make sure that the other person gets satisfaction, in which case self-satisfaction, if you're helping somebody else get it, uh, could just be feeling good that you helped somebody. It could also be much, yeah. Or it could be that you're, um, in a way, just uh, acquiescing, right? And so you walk away with uh, not getting what you want. And then (laughs) there's there's really just two other places you can go, and one is negotiation and compromise, and, and you go in that direction, or... You move to a place of collaboration and problem solving. So my curiosity is, what's the desired outcome? What's the end game? Beginning with the end in mind, which we've talked about here before. Begin with the end in mind. What really is it that you're seeking and wanting? And then you'd be able to say, and you raised the question, is he true? Is Elon Musk a great systems thinker? And if so, what is the end game? What is it? And what's the choice now to approach it in this manner as opposed to perhaps another manner, or designing a different form of solution. And maybe it is that he thought about the design and, and, and this, this may be the best approach based on what the, what the end in mind is. Yeah. You know, I know uh, personally I get a little squirrely when I get to a place where I feel like I don't have choice anymore. Yeah. Um, right. Lack of control, those kinds of things. Hey, before we get on the air, you and I were having a conversation. You know, uh, I've been working with some businesses. You've been working with a group of business leaders. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've told this story multiple times where, you know, working with a company and they said, hey, we, you know, we doubled our we doubled our bottom line revenue last year, but we need people to come back to work. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, my reaction was say those two sentences again. <laughs> We, you know, we doubled our bottom line revenue and we need people to come back to uh, work. Bottom line revenue or bottom line profit? Well, I think it was Clarity. bottom line revenue. So, um, But there was still more profit built into there. I don't think they doubled their profit that year. Okay. It's not, not how I heard so that. So they've got an increase in revenue and now they need people to satisfy the... <laughs> okay, got and, it. And, and so, you know, I think it is... I mean, and we talk about, you know, we always bring up this kind of idea of our American political system, which is kind of like a... Um, a, a two-sided weeble wobble where <laughs> one side's on top, <laughs> right? And then they're just playing the game to get the other side on top. Yeah. Right? I mean, we're going to do midterm elections now. We're going to do the other, you know, the, the presidential election two years from now. And then we're going to, you know, we just hope that the weeble wobble turns completely over. 
Yeah, which is, yeah. And now with the midterm election, that's pretty much the game that's getting played. And the announcement's already been made that that's the way it's going to get played. So I'm just like, yeah, this is the way it's supposed to show up, and therefore it will show up. Unfortunately, if you look at if you look at the long term forecast for um, as a nation, the United States that that's that's a problematic position to put yourself in because if you look at historically, uh, you know every great every great nation that uh, appears to be almost as an empire like has an empire like presence worldwide. You see those. You see that uh, that growth, and then you see them peak at some point, and then you see the declines begin to occur. And by the way, we're the patterns that we're seeing around uh, increasing violence, uh, greater disparity, um, and and greater polarization and separation politically. These are all evidence uh, of what we've seen in the past uh, of nations in decline. And so there's a you know what's in the water is also a fear that. Things are changing, and they're not going to be like they once were. And then there's a holding on effect that goes with that, and there's a rigidity that comes with it. I'm wanting you, what I want. Do you double down on systems of oppression in, in a situation yeah. of decline? Yeah, yeah. Typically, that's one. That's one of the aspects of it that you see. As a matter of fact, sometimes that when you think about uh, historically empire building, then you'd say that well, that oppression is extended externally as well as internally. It's it's kind of an odd. Uh, unfortunately, there's an alignment between the in- internal and external experience that takes place there. That's quite natural, just like in our organizations. When you think about employee experience to customer experience, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, Tesla as a brand is really a choice kind of model as well. It, it puts a choice right in front of you: either go electric or you're you're sticking with the fossil, and you know, and you're going to pay for it if you want to go electric, and you don't have that. You know, there you go. And uh, you know, a lot of Tesla's success has been because competition has been so slow to come at it. I mean, when you think about electric vehicles and you think of the idea, uh, 19, what do you go back to the 1970s yeah. to start exploring what, what the that that was already getting kicked around? And what are we now? Half a century later, and we're still, you know, kind of in a way trying to get over the curve of, of uh, adopting it and moving forward. Well, and Tesla's got the same production issues and supply chain issues that every other manufacturer has, and yet the competition in the space has uh, boomed here of late. Yeah, which means that there's a greater demand for that for the technology, for the components, and everything that comes with it, as well as uh, eventually for the talent. The thing is, if your technology is ahead of the game, if you're ahead technology-wise, then you're going to need to put less investment into the R&D element of it because you've already done that and you've already satisfied the need to test it and, and to secure it. You know, you've done your iterations and you've done them, in, you've done them earlier. And so the, uh, you, know, you lessen the expense. And again, so much of the lesson that uh, I think American automobile makers are coming to grips with is that they haven't been quick enough to want to fail. They, you know, just always holding on. That goes even back to when the Japanese entered the American markets way back in the day when Ford was dumping parts into the Chesapeake Bay. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's really quite alarming. Yeah, you know, um, you know, many of us here in the U.S. especially are just so fortunate because we have, we have so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a toy. I have a classic pickup truck in my garage. And uh, first... What, what is it? It's a 1965 Chevy oh. C10. Wow. So... I love it. It's what a toy. Color is it? White. Uh-huh. 
White, originally fawn, fawn beige. I saw a teal one over the weekend. That's yeah. what. That's what. I went, wow. So it's, you know, up near you, I mean, every every first Saturday of the month in Lafayette, um, they have uh, a cars and coffee in, in the parking lot. So, which parking lot? Uh, I've not gone. I think it's a big the big church. Is that right? The big church. So okay. yeah, yeah. I never pay attention to whose parking lot we're in. There's just you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of For cars. For you that are local, that's uh, that's you know the intersection of Public and South Boulder Road. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. Um, and uh, you know it's fantastic every every first Saturday of the month to just go there and uh, you know everybody's got their cars parked out. But you know I can't fathom if you were to put a dollar amount on <laughs> on the things that are in that parking lot. You know, it's kind of like we're coming up on camping season and you're going to see these big trucks with campers. And so those are extra things in our lives. Yeah. Right? I mean, those are not necessary things. I mean, if I didn't have a classic car, would I be just fine? Yes, I'd be just fine. It's an extra thing. My wife is very mad. It takes up space in the garage. But, but, you know, we talk about this. uh, We talk about this economic system. That, that we're in. And, you know, you, you mentioned a thing to me before we got on the air today is you're working with, with a, a bunch of business leaders and they're kind of betting on the, they're betting on the economic downturn to, to leverage ch- it, to change the perspective of, of employees that want to work. <laughs> right. So in that us versus them, employers are saying, you know, employees don't want to work. I mean, that language from Elon Musk when he responded to a bunch of this stuff was, you know, if you don't like it, you can pretend to work somewhere else, um, right? I mean, and that's, uh, you know, that is just kind of a, uh, a knifey it is, yeah. kind, and, kind of and language. I, the actual language that I heard from a couple of people it was just simply, well, soon the shoe's going to be on the other foot again. And then, you know, then we'll have the advantage. Um and, and you, you said you said some some really strong words there. You said, you know, that's revenge language. It is. It is. I, I think it is, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what happens. So if there's a resentment, and this has a lot to do also with how much leaders feel that they're in control, um, which is, I mean, just the human factor of fear that comes with not having the sense of control and that we realize that fear... It can show up in a lot of different ways, mm-hmm. um, everything from paranoia uh, to uh, to dis- despair and fear, or can also show up as resentment and anger. And resentment, mm-hmm. anger can lead to you without even realizing it. You're you're wanting to get back, or you're looking to reestablish. Now, by the way, I need to be real clear about this: is that there's a range of of approach to this based on who you are as an individual leader and what your business is about and where you see your business and what's your end game and what are you trying to get and gain from the business itself? Uh, what are the rewards that you're reaping? So there's a range. There's others that are looking at this very compassionately in a way that are saying, yeah, this is the world's kind of tough out there right now. There's others that are thinking innovatively and saying, yeah, people are looking for their own alignments. They're looking for better mental health. They're looking for less stress, less anxiety. How can I create that in my workplace? What does that look like? And so the design of of the approach will vary depending upon the leader's perspective and who they are. Yeah. And and then of course that then you begin to cycle through the whole idea of how self-aware is the leader? 
how we're, how self-aware is that person to understand their own emotional response to to the condition, the situation, the context that we're in, and what's their storyline? Yeah. Yeah, you know, the the alchemy of it all, the alchemy of the emotional response to some of these things. Um, I, I want to tackle that one in the next podcast with you because um, I think there's, there's so much in there about, um, you know, I think we think it's static. Um, part of the other conversation you and I were having before we got on the air was, you know, when we used to hit economic uh, difficulties societally, we kind of would hunker down. And now we know spending is way, way up. And whether that's a rebound out of the pandemic or not, who knows. But we know people are not hunkering down. It's a different response. It's a different yeah. response to, to the economy than, than we're used to seeing. Yeah, and then there's that spread of emotion that uh, when, we, when we're confined and we limit our lives, uh, the, other, the other end of the spectrum is, you know, let me get out there and let me enjoy and let me, uh, let me engage. And in our world... Um, engagement, which is, you know, take a look at uh, daylight savings time, right? In our world, engagement means um, increased spending. I, it's really yeah. that simple that we'll use our resources to um, get the experiences or or if we've been holding back on buying something, now we're going to buy it. And uh, there's There's been so much of that shift. There's a psychological shift um, of or being overly concerned about my future, including the possibility of becoming very ill and possibly dying from the, uh, from the, uh, uh, from COVID and then going to the other end of the spectrum, which is, I'm not going to, I don't concern myself with that anymore. I'm going to create a different experience for myself. So, uh, you know, one of the, um, one of the things we discovered about our podcast, well, we haven't discovered it. We knew it, but we, we gave language to it was, you know, we get on here and we have, we have something, we have a nugget, um, and then we're going to riff back and forth um, uh, on that nugget, and we're going to see where it goes. Uh, I mean, it's not it's a It's always grand. about the conversation. It is. It's not a scheme, right? It's not what we planned it all out. It's a, it's a live conversation that you're with us for. Um, but one of the things, um, Edgar, in that language, I'm going to ask you a question here because, you know, this is, I, are you and I, Riffers at life. <laughs> if you look at my business background, that, that would that would be yes. It's probably <laughs> also makes me relatively effective. Um, it's uh, yeah, I sometimes think of. I'm going to use a use a little bit of a music analogy here. Is uh, the great players in Nashville that you don't know their names? Um, they they show up at a studio and they're asked to play, and the really great ones will sit down. And by the way, I, I actually experienced this when I recorded the, uh, when I went into the recording studio, and I'll never forget Nick Forrester, the host of E-Town. Uh, he came in with with this old, like, Sears Roebuck amplifier and, <laughs> and stuff, and uh, because I asked him if he'd, if he'd play on the album, and he just walked in ready for a couple of different things to happen. But really, we just played him a couple of tracks, and he sat down, and he just started riffing. Just and beautiful. Uh, one one uh, uh, red the song titled Red Hill on that album. Um, the front end of that, the dobro. He just sat down. Everything was quiet in the studio, and he just started in. And we, you know, that was the one take, and that's all you needed. And he just. So I think in terms of my own uh, career, that um, the 
I think, a great level of the effectiveness that I've been able to enjoy working with organizations and teams and CEOs is being able to be like a, a session player and just you know walk in the door and let's 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 hear what's going on and and let's see where it takes us um, and having some clarity of what's the goal what's what, again keeping the end in mind but yeah so I think that's what we do here yeah I, I'm I'm sorry I think I took this in another direction no no I mean that's where it's supposed to go right uh, the uh, so here's the movie reference of the week ah so I'm not sure I'm not sure either one of you guys would have seen this. Um, and that's not a comment on your character. It's just not a uh, a widely. I think it's a comment on on your on your movie taste, quite frankly. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I I watch an action film a day uh, if there was enough action uh, films. But you know, in my family, our our movie tastes are not the same uh, uh, with my wife and I. And uh, she actually over t- you know if we let it build up over the course of like a month and we don't watch an art film or something like that, like. Um, she gets really frustrated with us, but TikTok boom. Anybody see this one? I should know who the producers are. Andrew Garfield's the main actor, but it is, um, the movie is about the gentleman who wrote, um, the show rent, the Broadway show rent. Right. Yeah. And so it is his, uh, his life, you know, he's, he's working in a restaurant he's got a girlfriend and he's trying to, he's trying to, He's trying to write an entire musical. Um, but he's, I bring this up because he's just living. It wasn't, uh, I must do this in order for this next thing to happen and that next thing after that and that next thing after that. I mean, he was living life. I mean, there was a presence to him in his recognition of what was going on around mm-hmm. him in that AIDS, in that AIDS uh, um, time. Right. Right. I mean, and he was, he was describing his experience. He wasn't describing his experience so he could make lots of money and live long. He actually died before the production came out. Right. Right. But I, um, we, my, my youngest daughter, she, uh, curates YouTube music videos for us at night. Um, sometimes I'm not in the mood for it, but she exposes us to such wonderful new music. Uh, so this is in your in your water, okay? Yeah, but she uh, one 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 piece we keep coming back to is from the movie TikTok Boom, and um, it's a it's a a musical piece in that film called Bohemia, and he's describing the life he lives in. You know whether or not the light's going to work in the bathroom and the showers in the kitchen of this small New York City apartment, and you know he's had like fourteen roommates over the last four years, and he's describing kind of this riffing of life where he, there is no grand plan. And I think that's a, you know, that's a, that's a contrast because, you know, the employees of the world are ceasing to believe that there's value in a grand plan because things are changing so quickly. Yeah. So to begin with the end in mind has a different definition attached to it. So I just want to, I want to experience and accomplish what I want now Mm -hmm. without thinking too far into the future because it's much like don't know if I will be owning real estate or a house in the future. Yeah. You know, I'm getting worn down paying rent all the time. Perhaps it's time for me to check out of the rent too. But you know, the quote unquote American dream was as much about a defined pathway Mm -hmm. 
right? You grow into owning your own house, right? I mean, this is this is real, you know, as we talk about the pathways. Let me get, let me get rid of my house, get an RV. Exactly. Right. I mean, and so that's just such a contrast with what we've been brought up with. Right. I mean, we, we were told that generational wealth comes from owning property and owning a house and, you know, making sure your children can do the same things. And yet, you know, we've, we've kept that from certain ethnicities and, and racial groups as much as we can. Um, we, uh, being, uh, you know, white men sitting all here in the room, but you know, the systems have, have pushed that down. Mm-hmm. It's, it's held out there like a, a wonderful carrot to chase. And, you know, what's in the water is people realize the carrot's moving further away. The, the faster I swim, the carrot's moving further away. So why chase the carrot? Yeah, and some carrots are sweet and some are bitter. So that, you know, that tension I think that people are experiencing yeah. is, is really, um, I can get on board and play the, the quote-unquote game, or I can do the things for me. Yeah, and then we're back to the main topic here alignment, which is what's the alignment to what it is that I'm seeking, what brings me happiness, joy, am I satisfied, content, and what does that look like? And then uh, I, I think the begin with the end in mind piece of it will always is always going to be there too, perhaps in a different way, where, and much like writing a book, I know this is going to sound so corny and, and uh, it's it's just right in front of us, is that uh, I'm going to write it, you know, chapter by chapter, I'm going to, you know, unpack this knowing that somewhere along the line there is going to be an end. I just, uh, and maybe the, maybe the definition of end isn't based on calculate, uh, calculation of wealth. Um, perhaps it's just uh, what have I accumulated in my experiences in life and how happy and content am I with those experiences? Which, by the way, you know, having, having wealth is a, is a part of a life experience. It's not the end all. The experience of, earning, of of getting it, it's always in service of the self. Yep. And I think that's the important part that we need to be able to come back to because as you and I working with leaders know that, um, and, and the old saying goes, you know, money's not everything. You know, what does this really look like? And even now, now I'm going to bring it back to Elon Musk, is the narrative Elon Musk will be at some point, what is the underlying motivation for the actions that he undertakes, much like the decision and the and the uh, the communication of of his, uh, no, you're either going to work here the forty hours a week or you're not, kind of deal. Uh, yeah, and if I want something else, I'm going to go. Sit, I'm going to go find it somewhere else. And I think he's just saying, go ahead and do that. And perhaps it is because he's so direct that it can it can really you know, catch some people off guard to say, oh, well, somebody's going to be that direct about it. Like you said, here it is. You know, this is just, this is my truth, and therefore it is. And consequentially, what does that mean for the people around him? Uh, he's leaving it up to them to decide. So that's that's one take. And then the other take is, well, isn't there a more innovative way of coming at this? And have you thought about that? And is it, could you design a different kind of solution to this scenario? What does that look like? And then you look at his business model and you say the pressure and demands of that business are going to now increase over time. Um, and things are going to look different in just a few years from now again. Yeah, you know, I always, um, the thing I roll over in my brain all the time is, you know, when we start talking about Elon Musk, we talk, you, you mentioned those two 
two kind of possibilities. Um, you know, one is, is about him and then one is about him thinking about others. And, and, you know, I think that that's the natural, that's a natural thing is, you know, we, in, in our society, we, we have enjoyed, we've enjoyed the shouters. Um, right. I mean, we've enjoyed the people that have a, you know, a, a social presence in our society to be able to shout how they are. Yeah. And then really the thing that we struggle with is when they haven't thought about other people, but we've actually been rewarding them for shouting from their own perspective for a long time. That's true. And, you know, social media is a shout machine. It really is. It, it works that way as well. You know, where I, when I work with students in marketing, mm-hmm. um, this is one of the conversations we always, always get to is they believe that marketing is just merely shouting. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, it is. And so it's a shouting with psychological effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's probably a great way to look at marketing as a way of, you know, shouting with psychological effect. Well, we, you know, we like societally, we like shouters mm-hmm. right up until they feel, Till we feel like they haven't paid attention to other people, and I, is that is that what's in the water, Edgar? Is that there are certain people that there's a don't want you know don't necessarily want to shout, can't shout, don't get traction when they shout it. They don't feel like somebody's paying attention to them. Yeah, one well, of the basic uh, there now we're back to you know the psychological element, which says that we all want to feel connected. We all want to, and begins with feeling heard that we're important, we're significant, we matter, and. Uh, some of us have a greater desire and need for that than others. And it's also understood that very often to have a voice, you need to be able to shout. Or if you really want to be heard, you step you step out the way that Musk has just done. You just, you know, you step out into it. Now, there also, you, you said right at the, at the front end of this, a, a leak. You know, it was leaked. Which is kind of interesting. So a leak can turn into a shout, can't it? And that's yeah. really, really something that's interesting. By the way, I do want to also. There, uh, this morning, I caught that um, a uh, company, a manufacturer of drones, in I think it's Phoenix, and this is something that we will take a look at. And if you're out there, you might want to explore this one. Uh, six people on the board resigned because they were out of alignment with the idea of a drone company producing a drone. That could use tasers. Oh. And it's not just that it could use tasers, it, that it was the first, it was another step towards having armed drones. And the idea was the taser equipped drones would be used by, by pol- for, for, for policing purposes or for police departments. So there's this idea of, um, I, I think, so here's the final message that I'd like to leave with because we're out of time. And uh, Jim's Jim's letting us know that. Good morning, Jim. <laughs> hey, good morning, guys. <laughs> You've been keeping quiet. us honest. Yes. I heard you chuckle a couple of times in the background, at, uh, keeping us there. Um, and that's this. Uh, at the end of the day, every misalignment is an opportunity. And that kind of a misalignment creates an opportunity for the conversation. And once we engage in the conversation, then we can be, begin to un- unfold it and, and see what's really there. And and better understand and problem solve the misalignments as opposed to just play win lose or here you go. So I uh, again, I think an important message that keeps coming around here for us and to share with you out there is just simply uh, seek alignment and and look at 
and look at every misalignment as an opportunity. It's going to show up as a conflict in your life, in your relationships, in your businesses in one shape, form, or another. And seeking alignment is, um, I, that I, I can't help but just say it's one of the more powerful things that you'll do in life. Yeah, the act of. Yep. For sure. So, Ken, thanks very much for the conversation as always. Thank you out there if you're listening again. As always, questions, thoughts, comments, anything at all are welcome. Um, Info at truealignment.com. Is that, we got that right, Jim? That sounds perfect, guys. Good, good. See, we got you on the record today. All right. Thank you all. We'll see you next time around. I'm Edgar Papke. I'm Ken Sagendorf. Thanks, everybody.